If you have your Bibles this afternoon, I'm going to continue in the vein of the, of the uh, series that Pastor Devin's been teaching and preaching upon. And uh, maybe this week would be um, an appropriate word that I have, I hope, will be a blessing to you. Out of the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 1, it's a familiar verse to many that read the Scriptures. Paul tells the young pastor, Timothy, Paul says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Be not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. You've not been given the spirit of fear, Amplified says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm and well-balanced mind and self-control. That's what the Holy Ghost will do for you today. That's what only the Spirit of God can do for the child of God today. I want to read from the book of Isaiah, a couple of verses in Isaiah 8 and verse 11. This is what the Lord says to me with His strong hand upon me. Isaiah said there was a very strong word that God gave to me in, a, in an hour of great fear and trepidation in, in Israel and Judah. He said, warning me not to follow the way of this people. Do not call conspiracy everything this people calls a conspiracy do not fear what they fear and do not dread it if we've ever needed a verse like that not everything is a conspiracy not everything I got to be careful but not everything the government is behind and in a day where we have the opportunity to be afraid of anything that, that moves about. God wants His people to know you don't have a spirit of fear. And you are not to fear what the world fears. You are not to be afraid of what the world is afraid of. And you're not to get caught up in every conspiracy theory there is out there. But you are to trust in the Lord your God. How many today knows that that's where you need to put your trust? That every day we wake up. Our, our trust and our fears in the Lord. Would you just pray, Father, thank you for the word of the Lord. Thank you for every life, everyone that is gathered together today. I know in the name of Jesus, something is about to happen in a life that is ready for transition and change. Transformation is, Lord, on the horizon for somebody this afternoon. And I thank you, Lord, for the power of a sound mind. For these words and messages that we have been hearing, God, about mental health. That, God, it is your will that we have a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And I pray it in the name of the Lord. Let the church shout amen. You may be seated. I encourage you to, if you're a first-time guest, to please come again and meet the before version of this guy. Amen. There's the before and the after. And I tell my son, they say, you look just like your dad. And I tell him, unfortunately, this is what he's got to look forward to. I want to I talk to you today about the spirit of fear 
or faith? And that is in the form of a question. Do you have the spirit of fear or of faith? What is it that our, our world, especially our world of entertainment, enjoys a, a horror movie? I, I'm, I don't care for those sort of things, and I'm not going to try to be a, a holier-than-thou sort of person. I'm not even going to ask for you to confess if you are somebody that likes horror movies. I, I don't think many of them are healthy. I don't think they're good for us, but I'm not going to go there today. But what is it about movies such as this that attract such a crowd? Well, I did a little research on it, and I found that actually these things are, uh, they are researched, and, and doctors and psychologists and psychiatrists have actually Research this very topic because it is an interesting thing that so many people enjoy watching horrible things, horror movies. Let me give you a few reasons that they believe people enjoy horror movies. It, this is just research according to scientists. Some believe it takes us back to primitive man. For ancient humans, constant vigilance was, was required in order to avoid becoming the prey of a larger or more deadly animal. So it's a primitive thing they believe, some believe. These long ago experiences have granted people a highly responsive, albeit mostly unconscious, threat detection system. Because horror movies do such a good job at simulating threatening situations this means our emotional responses to them are similar to those we'd experience if we if we encounter a real life threat as a result horror movies are a risk free way to vicariously experience threats and rehearse one's responses to those threats and you just thought you wanted to see uh, a horror movie. Number two, it creates a sensation of satisfaction and empowerment. Listen to this. Some believe that watching a horror movie is for this reason. After people get through a horror movie unscathed, they may feel a sense of accomplishment and mastery over the threat they've experienced, which then leads them to feel more confident in their ability to handle other anxiety-provoking situations. One theory proposes that horror media uh, stimulates elevated levels of psychological arousal because of the fear they induce. When the media concludes, that arousal then intensifies viewers' feelings of relief and enjoyment leading to a euphoric high. So some people watch horror movies because they want to feel better that they weren't the one that got slashed. Another study found that our enjoyment of horror movies can be explained by the fact that they satisfy our curiosity about the dark side of humanity. Now I want to put a disclaimer. I, I, this, is, this is not necessarily my opinions on this stuff. But it is a researched field of why people want to be afraid, at least for an hour and a half or so. So it is the idea that some are searching for the dark side of humanity. Horror movies let us vicariously explore the nature of evil, both in others and in ourselves. 
and grapple with the darkest parts of humanity in a safe environment. In other words, you, you will watch this. People will watch this. And then they, they watch it because there's a curiosity in them. And then there's a wonderment in them of could they be Jason? Could they be? Could they be the killer and not the stalker and not the stalked? Are you still with me? I think I'm losing some of you. It's okay. Finally, the beast within, which is similar to that last one is the most popular theory explaining the genre's popularity. According to one source, quote, it argues that an unconscious, repressed part of every human is actually savage. That the veneer of civility is very thin. And beneath that is essentially a monster. This researcher says, according to this idea, although we consciously disapprove of what the monster is doing, Deep down, part of us enjoys seeing the murder and the mayhem the monster unleashes. Because if we could, we would do that. You say, no, I wouldn't. Well, then why are you watching it? What is it about it that attracts? Is this true? I'm going to be honest. Actually, that last one is not that far from the Scripture. That last theory of why people enjoy watching others die a horrific death, the idea of a monster inside of us is the idea the Scripture tells us that no one is righteous and that all of us are desperately wicked. And I'm not saying that you're killers in the making here, but I am telling you that there is something about fear and there is something about watching these things that is appealing to our human nature. And it drives our fears. Do you know today that Fear is a bestseller that our society is, is uh, ramped up on fear. Our society loves panic mode all the time. And you know what? You know what just reinforces that is social media. That's why when people scroll through their social media, algorithms will, will watch what you're doing. And if you spend just a couple of extra seconds on a negative something, on something that is not, uh, uh, that is not necessarily good for your mind or good for your spirit, you know what's going to come up in just a couple of scrolls is something very similar. And that is why this reinforced sort of bias is in social media. And that's why everyone in this room ought to agree that social media spending too much time on it doesn't you don't walk away feeling better about yourself you don't walk away saying I, I feel like the world's a better place to be in but you do feel like things are falling apart the world sells panic and the world is in its panic mode matter of fact the Lord said it this way he said in the last days Luke 21 and verse 26 Men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. In the last days, one of the greatest signs is the fear and the panic that will be in mankind. I don't know if you've been watching the news, but nuclear war is back on the horizon in our world. Now, I'm, I'm just going to tell you, I'm preaching the bad news first today. Let's, I'm going 
going to get through this. But I want you to know there's a lot to be afraid of out in this old world. One wrote it this way. The fear phobia is America's number two health problem. It makes us tense and can cause depression. Many diseases have their roots in fear and depression. You need to hear this. According to medical experts, stress induced by fear can easily lead to peptic ulcers, kidney disorders, high blood pressure, indigestion, liver disorders, and more. Fear is the most destructive force in the world today. Fear and worry and depression have killed more people than wars, any war combined. It is why men's hearts are failing them. And we are in a fear-driven society. That's why when we walk through the doors of the church, there should be something within us that says, this is a place of refuge. This is a place that reminds me that everything is going to be all right. I don't know about you, but As they sang the songs today, something in my heart said, it's going to be all right. God is enough. God shall supply my needs. Could you just praise him right now? How many is thankful that God shall supply our every need? My father used to make the statement. He said, I don't, I don't like to watch the news. This was before social media. This was when there were only about three outlets, ABC, NBC, and CBS. He said, I don't like to watch the news before I eat. He said, because it'll give me indigestion. And he said, then I watch it after. And he said, it still gives me indigestion. He said, I I just can't, I can't bear the bad news. It's nothing new in the world that we live today. Fear has always, has always been a bestseller. Do you know that Satan specializes? You got to get this. Satan specializes in fear. He specializes in the shadowy, in the shadowy dark figures of life. His best, his best act is in places that you are uncertain about. That's why tomorrow is so, uh, so scary to people because you haven't lived in tomorrow. May I just tell somebody about worrying and the Lord made the statement. He said, take no thought of tomorrow. He said, tomorrow when it gets here, everything's going to be all right. But if you are worried about tomorrow, can I just give you an understanding? God will not give you grace for tomorrow today. If you start worrying about tomorrow and wondering why God's not comforting you, God said don't worry about tomorrow. You start putting your mind on tomorrow. You start doing the what ifs of life. What if this happens? What if that happens? God, why aren't you comforting me? God says I'm not going to sit around and worry with you about something I've already handled. I've got your life taken care of. How many believes that God has your life taken care of? Can you say amen? The word of God says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Do you know the definition of anxiety? Anxiety, the definition is a baseless fear. A baseless fear. Now I'm not saying if you are anxious or you have anxiety 
that you are baseless or that you don't have a particular need of, of God's touch in your life. But the, the very definition is a baseless sphere. It has no particular object. It works on worry and uncertainty about the future. That's why we have to understand the power of fear in our lives. Isaiah 8 and 12, the message says, Don't be like this people, always afraid somebody's plotting against them. Don't fear what they fear. Don't take out, don't take on their worries. Don't take on their worries. Anybody remember what Roosevelt said when we were going through the Great Depression? That was even, believe it or not, before my time. He said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. Neil Anderson, I love this. I want you to hear this. Neil Anderson, Dr. Anderson says, in order for a fear object to be effective, it must be perceived by humans as having two attributes, two things, two things will bring fear. It must, number one, be imminent or present in your life and potent, possessing some power that can negatively affect you. For fear to be effective, it has to be present or it has to be powerful. Now he goes on to say this, Anderson continues, I believe I have, re listen I love this, I believe I have a reasonably healthy fear of rattlesnakes, says Dr. Anderson. How many has a reasonably healthy fear of rattlesnakes? Would you raise your hand? Now, I'm not going to joke about being a snake handling church. That would be so tacky. But I did bring a box. I have a reasonably healthy fear of rattlesnakes. Listen now. He goes on to say, However, I have no fear of them as I sit writing this chapter because there are none present. If one slithered through the door... And coiled under my chair unnoticed by me. I would still sense no fear. Even though it was right there. Because I would have no awareness of its presence. However, my fear index would go from 0 to 10 immediately upon seeing it at my feet. If you threw a dead rattlesnake at my feet provided I was sure that it was dead, I wouldn't fear it. Remove just one of those attributes. It's imminence, which is its presence, or its potency, which is its power, and the fear dissipates. Now, the only thing that I probably would argue with Neil Anderson here is, is even if it was dead, many would still not trust the death of the snake. But you see, the presence and the power of an enemy is what brings fear. I come today to tell you it is important to understand God has removed the devil's power out of this world for you, for you. Now, I know you say, wait a minute, he's a lion seeking whom he may devour. But I will tell you his power has been removed. He is a dead rattlesnake. He is a dead man walking. And the only way that you will fear him is that you do not believe that he has no power over you. I've come to tell you greater is he that's in you 
than he that is in this old world. Do you believe that? And that the only fear today you have is if the enemy can fool you into believing he can do something that God has said he cannot do. The Bible says in 1 John 3 and 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. I love that. The enemy, his works have been destroyed. His power over us, the fear of death, the fear of going to hell, the fear of a lake of fire, the fear of darkness, that has been removed. Those are the works of the enemy. But God has brought light. Colossians 2 and 15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. I will tell you, God threw a parade years ago, three days after Calvary, and he said to the enemy, no longer will you torment my people. No longer will you will you cause fear in bondage in my people because I'm going to give them a name that's above of every name. I'm going to give them authority in my name. I'm going to give them power in my name. I need somebody to help me right now. I am going to give my people the power that they need in the name of Jesus. You're going to tread over scorpions. You're in the name of Jesus. You have authority. Somebody give God praise for that. I believe that. Speaking of Snakes. I have, uh, I have brought a friend. Got to be careful here. I've never done this, but I felt like today Stella needed to face their fears. Uh, anybody ever been to show and tell when you were a kid? Well, I've, I've brought something to show you. Anybody have a fear of, of snakes? I want to see your hand. If you have a fear of snakes, raise your hand. Raise your hand. So, so uh, Hannah, you're not afraid of snakes. Are you good? So you wouldn't mind coming up here? You're scared? I still need you to come up here. Come on. I do that because I baptized that girl in Tennessee years ago. Now, Hannah, I know you trust me, okay? And uh, I have brought a friend with me today, and I've got holes he's able to breathe, and I don't know what the music's done to him, but I do want you to know that, uh, that you can trust me because what is in this box will not hurt you if you handle it correctly. Uh, that's, that's something we've got to understand, so if you don't mind, this little girl when she locked herself in her car in front of my house when she was like five and her mother begged her to please unlock the door and we stood outside of that car for an hour threatening her life, threatening a police, threatening to arrest her, threatening to bust the windows out and everything we could finally, she finally relented. I guess she got hungry and decided it's time to let him in and that was a long time ago so I'm finally paying you back. This is a fragile thing. And, and it's 
can't see what's in here is is important. And I I, I appreciate uh, Brother Kenton watching this box. But uh, the enemy loves to put these things in front of us. I walked in, and as soon as I walked in, folks were backing off because they saw holes in the box. And they realized that something in, is in there, and it's breathing. And they, uh, they realized that whatever I was holding, I was being very cautious with, and I will remain cautious. But the fact is, is that fear is a powerful thing. I want to just, I want to do this right. I don't, I really don't want this to become a problem online because I might have a lawsuit on my hands here today. But I just want you to, to, uh, I'll show you what this is. Oh, oh, this is the, now hang on, I'm not done. I brought with me today. Spider-Man toy. And I brought one more thing. A woman. And I thought today as I walked in, nobody has a clue what I'm doing. And you trusted me enough to know that I wasn't stupid. I do need the shoe back. I don't care about the toys. I'd look silly walking around with one shoe. The fact is, is that what was in the box, as long as you did not know it, was a mystery of fear this thing right here could have been anything and I promise you that I could have I could have really brought the real thing but I thought it probably best to uh, not have an accident at Stella while Pastor Devin is gone but how many times I'll, I'll take those back give Sister Hannah a big hand I want to ask you something how, how many times you say, that's a silly thing. No, 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 no. You got boxes. The devil has kept you in the dark. There's things right now that the enemy has told you, you better not. He's threatened our lives. He's threatened our families. He's threatened our marriages. He's threatened the church. He's told us you keep it up, and I'm going to take you out. But I'm just coming today to tell you that to be afraid of the devil is about as smart as being afraid of this shoe right here. Because the devil is a defeated foe. The devil is a defeated foe. At Calvary, Jesus Christ took care of him. Am I saying that, he, that he's not got teeth? No, he's got teeth. But his teeth are broken. And, and, and as far as the church of the living God is concerned, the only power the devil has over any of us is to convince us that he's got power. That's it. He's a liar from the beginning. He's trying to convince some of you that it's really worse than it is. Let me ask you something. Do you remember the story back in the Old Testament when the sons of Jacob brought the bloody coat of Joseph. You know what they did? They sold him into slavery and then they took his coat of many colors and they killed a, an animal and they poured that blood on his, on his coat and they brought that coat before the father, Jacob, and they said, is this 
Is this who I think it is? This, is this his coat? And Jacob looked at that very special coat he had given to his son Joseph. And he said, that is my son. They had ripped it up. They had put blood of an animal on it. And they never said to Jacob, he's dead. They never said that he's been attacked. They never said what the blood. They never said. All they left was speculation for that father to look and say, this is my son's coat. He has been attacked attacked by an animal and he is no longer with us he is dead and devoured do you know the devil all he's got to do is put an empty box in front of you put a bloody coat in front of you and tell you why don't you do the math on it why don't you just finally calculate you're not going to be able to make it you're not going to serve God your family is going to is not going to make it I've come today to tell somebody that fear is a powerful thing but you've got to arrest those thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God and you've got to say in the name of Jesus I will not be afraid greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world can you shout amen just an old shoe in the 70's the movie Jaws I will not ask if you've seen it in the 70's movie Jaws the shark only got four minutes of screen time. Approximately 3% of the film's total run time. That's all you saw the shark. And it's my understanding that it was quite a bit into the movie before you ever saw the shark. Number one, I've read that the shark was so fake looking at first. They were dealing with mechanical problems. That that was one of the reasons they just kept not showing it because they couldn't get the, the, the shark, the fake shark, to look right on camera. But do you know what happened? It turned out that that was a genius move. The power of the movie is the viewer's imagination along with da-da-da-da-da-da. Anytime you hear that, you remember there's fear. That is what the enemy does. The enemy comes in and he says, if they know, if they could really see, if they could have the light turned on, they would not be afraid. But if I can keep them in the dark, if I can keep those thoughts coming, if I can just stay in the shadows, the Bible says in Isaiah 14 and 16, of the devil it says, they shall see thee. They that see thee shall narrowly Look upon thee and consider thee saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake the kingdoms somewhere down the road? The world is going to get a, is going to get a view of Satan. The church is going to see him for what he is. And we're going to be amazed at how small he really is. I'm telling somebody right now, your problems are not greater than the power of God. And God has removed those obstacles. And somebody today, your mind has been running and your thoughts have been stirring but God's here to heal our minds God's here to heal our thoughts God's here to give you a different perspective in the name of Jesus take authority over every thought in the name of Jesus take authority over every fear in the name of Jesus God has made a way in the name of the Lord so it is that uh, this right here is where it's this right here is where it's all working. The battlefield of the mind. I was doing a study several years ago about idols in the Old Testament. 
And I found something that I thought was just, at first I, it was bizarre. I thought, I, I don't understand, I can't connect the dots on this. There are several words in the Old Testament for idol, like three or four Hebrew words, and, and that's the way the Hebrew works. You can find several different words. But a quick study on this, one word in particular was found 17 times in the Old Testament, found even in Isaiah and other places, and it, it, it means this in the Hebrew, and this part makes sense. The word for idol in the Hebrew means to carve, to carve like carving a piece of wood, or to fashion, or to fabricate, to fabricate something. Hence, now this is what threw me off. Hence, in a bad sense, it goes on to say it's used in the Hebrew in a negative way, to worry, pain, or anger. Well, I stopped. I was like, okay, this, what, what does this mean? This is an idol, and the Hebrew word for idol makes sense if it's something you carve or you fashion out of metal and then bow down and worship. That's, that's the common sense idol. But why is it that worry shows up as, as it was a word in the Hebrew that they would use for worry? And then I thought, no, I, I, I think I get this. What do we do in our minds when we get to worrying? We get, to get, a, we get an image in our head. We begin to form an idea. We form a thought. We form and carve out what, what's going on. And suddenly worry is something you have shaped out of your own imagination. Worry is something that you have come up with and you have thought this, this is how it's going to end or this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go in tomorrow to work and so-and-so is going to see me and then this is going to happen and then this is going to happen or a sharp pain hits you right up here around the shoulder blades or maybe a little lower in my age. I've got a little bit more to, to think about. And I, the first thing is, is I try to figure out which, which side's my left side. You know, it's, it's, it's over here, it's okay, but over here's not a good thing. But, but you, get, you get a headache, or you get something going on, or somebody doesn't answer their phone, or somebody doesn't text you back, or this or that, and suddenly what are you doing? You are fashioning a thought in your mind, and you are carving out something in your thought that is creating an idol. And God is saying, if you worry, then you're an idolater. God is saying, you are worshiping the idol of fear. You are worshiping what has not even happened. Because you are creating a scenario. And you are saying that that scenario in your mind that you have fashioned out of worry and fear is greater than God. I've come today to tell you, it's time to cast down every imagination. It's time to cast down every reason and thought. It's time today that when that thought hits your mind, you say, no, God is greater than anything the enemy might put in my mind. That thought may have come in, but it's got to go right now. It's got to leave my mind right now. I will not dwell upon those things. That's why the Bible says he's given you the power of a sound mind. How many thankful for the power of a sound mind? 
God, give this church a sound mind. We are not going to panic. We are going to pray. We are not going to fear. We are going to form a praise service and give God glory in the midst of it. Clap your hands, would you? And give God a shout of praise. I'm a pastor for years, and I, I, have, I deal more with people's fear and people's what-ifs. Can I tell you, I have I, I trouble helping people in that. As I said earlier today, God does not give you grace for you thinking about tomorrow. When it gets here, the grace will be there. But if you want to play the game of what's going to happen, can I tell you there are people right now bearing burdens in this room that God has told you already to put them at His feet, to lay them there, and in the name of Jesus, I give you my heart, I give you my bitterness, I give you, Lord, the pain and the wounds of my life. But if you keep picking them back up and then looking around and wondering why nobody will help you carry them, God is saying, let them go. Nobody around you can help you with something that I took care of at the cross. I took care of at Calvary. I'm telling somebody today, He took care of it. He took care of love. He took care of forgiveness. He took care of bitterness. He took care of wounds. He took care. If you've been done wrong, that's a painful thing. But you know who was done wrong? Jesus Christ. And He took care of it. And He said, I've overcome those things. And so will you in Jesus' name. For the thing which I greatly fear. Anybody know the rest of that? Job said, for the thing which I greatly feared has come upon me. If you fear it long enough, it's going to hit you. And then when it hits you, you're going to have, you're going to affirm it. You're going to affirm it. Dr. William James, the father of American psychology, says this. Your belief at the beginning of any project determines its outcome. It is identified as the law of self-fulfilling prophecy. And when it happens, then you go, I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was going to happen. It's because everything you did in your mind, you created a scenario that made that thing move and shape its way into what you feared has come upon you. Fear is the faith of hell. I said fear is the faith of hell. Of hell. Fear is that which comes in the form of terror. I'm almost done. But he said, You have the spirit of power. And I've been talking about power. And you have the spirit of a sound mind. I've been talking. Man, let's talk quickly about love. Do you know love and fear can can have, have a, a comparison? First John 4 and 18. There is no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but perfect, complete, full-grown love drives out fear because fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. Did you get that? Fear involves the expectation of divine punishment. Oh, this is powerful. When, when something happens to you, God's getting me. I knew it was coming. He's paying me back for the things I've done. Or, God, what have I done? Why are you mad at me? It's always the devil. I prayed this as we were worshiping today. I said, God, 
I never want you in my life to be my problem. And what I mean by that is the devil will tell you, if you weren't serving God, or why is God not doing this for you? Or why is God allowing this? As we were talking about being caught up in His presence and enjoying the presence of the Lord, the devil wants to drive a wedge between you. He wants to tell you, if God loved you, why are you going through this? And, and if, if, if God has forgiven you, why is this happening? And what happens is, is if you are not serving God in the mature, this is perfect love, not perfect in the the idea of, of flawless or in, uh, uh, like a moral, but it's in the idea perfect most of the time in the Bible means full grown or to maturity. It's come to fruition. Do you know the love of God has fully come to fruition in our lives and it is full grown love? You know, we, you ever seen a child when a child gets what it wants? It's fine. The child loves you to death. I got the piece of candy. The te- even the teenagers. Sorry, teenagers. But oh, I got the coolest mom in the world. I got the coolest mom. I got the coolest dad. But, but say no. Why do you hate me? Why, why, why do you hate me? That's a, you say, that's, I know, they're silly. Oh, yeah. Well, we got some teenage Christians, spiritually speaking. Oh, God, why do you hate me? Why do I? God is saying, why don't you grow into my love? Why don't you get past the idea that when when something bad goes wrong, suddenly you think I've got a problem with you. I took care of that at Calvary. I took care of that with the blood. By the way, God will chasten those he loves, but it's never an enemy thing that the devil wants you to think it is. Today I've come to tell somebody his love cast out fear and that if you have failed him this week... You shouldn't be running from him. You should be running to him today. If you have found yourself in trouble or in sin, the altar is where you need to run to today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you haven't done something that suddenly God is a big God with a ball bat in his hand waiting for you to mess up. No, he's a God that says, come unto me. Do we have any parents in the room? Have your children ever messed up? Have they ever done something that... That you did that displeased you? Did you disown them? No, that if you as an as, as a natural human parent would not disown them, how much more does your heavenly father love you today? You know, you preach like this and people think you're compromising. Oh, he, he's he's licensing people to mess up. No, I don't have to give you a license to do that. What I do need to give you is a a pass into the throne room of heaven. And when you are falling flat on your face, and the devil's clucking his tongue and saying, you are a loser and a failure, and nobody cares about you, and nobody loves you, and especially God, he's done with you. You can stop right there and say, perfect love, cast out fear. Of divine punishment. And the Bible even says in that very same place. If my heart condemns me. God is greater than my heart. Anybody ever had your heart condemn you? God I'm a nobody. Going nowhere. I'm a loser. It's, that's some good praying right there. Some of the best praying I ever do is tell God how bad of a person I am. I just get into that sometimes. Oh God. <laughs> I am so bad. 
Lord, I, have, I just am, I know, Lord, I'm not worthy of your love. And man, I can cry all day long telling God about how unworthy I am. And then God taps me on the shoulder and says, excuse me, pity party. Why don't you start talking about me instead of yourself? Because you can, st- you can be in the presence of God today and say, God, I'm telling you, you think I'm just, just trying to find something to preach. There are people in this room that are not fully sold out to God because you're still stuck on, well, I got some things I got to fix. And, well, I've messed up in my life. You know what? If you would just go for it and you would just let God love you and you would just come before him and say, God, it's obvious I've, I've come short of the glory of God. And I'm not even going to say, but, but, you know, I know everybody else has. It's not about everybody else. It's just about you and God today. And you say, God, your love today is drawing me. Your love today is bringing me into this intimate place of worship. Would you stand with me today? Can, can, let, me, let me back up to John. No, it's not in the verse I was going to show you. Let, you, can, you can finish this for me, right? We love him because he first loved us. That's right. You did good. We love God. Why do you love God? Because He's so good. Oh, I love God because He's perfect. No, no. You love God because He taught you how to love Him. Now, let me, I want you to get that because I'm done, but I want you to get that and I want to put a verse with it. You love God because God, first love. Somebody say, first love. Say, first love. You love God because God first loved you. Now let me read you a verse out of Revelation. Revelation 2. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I have somewhat against thee. Because thou hast left your first love. Oh, I remember my first love. It was when I got in the church and I prayed. And that first love was when I had a passion and I'm not, I don't want to take this out of context, but can I just tell you before you got in the church and you prayed and you were excited and that was a, that was, anybody remember puppy love? Any of you guys ever remember being so in love? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but aren't you, some of you, aren't some of you thankful that that didn't happen? What you hoped as a 15 year old girl, you've seen him lately and it's like, no, no, thank God. Some of you are like, no, it happened. <laughs> it's, it's, it's happening right now. <laughs> Take a whole lot of mercy. I want to go back a little, a little further back than your passion for him and your first love around a church and your first love around Stella and because I remember those days. I, I remember I, was, I took a girl out one time, and um, I opened the door for her. You know, that's that, that's that gentleman when you're, you're trying to do everything right. And I opened, opened the door, and she got in. I shut the door, and I was jogging around the front of my little uh, Chevette. That dates. It's not a Chevelle, but a Chevette. Go look it up. And I, I shut the door. And I was going to jog around real cool, like around the front and go to the, you know, drivers. So I was like. 
as soon as I got to the very front, something was on the front of the road, something, and I tripped, and it was like she was looking straight at me, and I disappeared in front of the car. I was like, <laughs> you know, the first love, when you're opening doors for one another, and passion, let's just go back to the honeymoon, the passion, the first year, the love, the, the Sister Akers and I, when we were dating and engaged, I traveled the country preaching, and I'd call her. And we didn't have cell phones. And they, uh, I'm running out of time, but this is too good of a story. Uh, And somebody gave me a phone number back when you had to call collect or you had to pay for your calls. Believe it or not, you had to pay for calls. And somebody gave me some number that if I would dial, it was about a 25 number, you'd hit it, and then you hit, it sends you somewhere. And I don't know if it was the black market, but I, I would call her on the black market long-distance phone calls. We could talk all night. Matter of fact, we could talk until both of us had fallen asleep on the phone. Any, anybody fall asleep with you? Yes, like... First love. Nothing like it. And that serving God... I look out and I wonder where people's first love is. And I could preach that. You need to get your first love. But I want to go a little further back because this is the power of first love. Is the first love wasn't your love for him. It was his love for you. 